This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intricasso. With me today is Ms. Sonia Roshnik, Executive Director of the International Hospital Federation Sustainability Center in Geneva. Ms. Roshnik or Sonia, welcome to the program. Thank you for welcoming me. Uh, you're most welcome. Ms. Roshnik's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. On background, this being at least my 40th climate-related podcast, listeners are well aware the U.S. healthcare industry emits an enormous amount of greenhouse gas pollution that accounts for approximately 9% of total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions and 25% of total annual global healthcare greenhouse gas emissions. Hospitals are the largest contributor to industry emissions. This is substantially due to the fact that U.S. hospitals are highly energy inefficient. The average energy intensity of a U.S. hospital is more than two times that of a European hospital. This, in turn, helps explain why only 4% of U.S. hospitals are EPA Energy Star certified for energy efficiency. The industry's emissions alone cause innumerable and unrelenting health harms. Those disproportionately impacted are Medicare seniors and Medicaid children. Despite this fact, the fact that the Biden administration announced on day one the administration would take a whole-of-government approach to tackle, and that's their word, the climate crisis, and the fact the U.S. healthcare industry on balance remains solidly uncommitted to decarbonizing, the Health and Human Services Department has refused to regulate Medicaid and Medicare provider emissions. For example, HHS recently published two Medicaid proposed rules largely intended to improve health equity. Nevertheless, neither recognized the climate crisis poses the greatest health equity threat to Medicaid beneficiaries. Finally, listeners may be aware this past Monday and Tuesday were the two hottest days ever recorded on Earth. With me again to discuss the International Hospital Federation's sustainability work is their executive director, and I'm very pleased to have her with me, Ms. Tanya Rosh, Ms. Sonia, excuse me, Ms. Sonia Roshnik. So with that uh, somewhat lengthy uh, introduction, Sonia, let's get right into this. Uh, first question is pretty obvious. Can you please explain or provide a brief overview of your organization, again, the International Health Federation? Or hospital, excuse me, hospital. Yes, I'm sorry, I'd, hospital federation. I'd, <laughs> no worries. It's the International Hospital Federation, yes. and it's an organization that's been in place for 90 years, really supporting um, hospital leaders to deliver um, you know, quality health care. And in the past two years, there's been this emergent theme that's come through, which is that actually hospital leaders do care about sustainability and what they need to do about it. And so the International Hospital Federation set up the Geneva Sustainability Center so that we could support um, IHS members to, um, you know, tackle this important subject. And you mentioned the size of the carbon footprint. You know, I one of the facts that always... Um, shocks me is that healthcare represents more than the emissions from shipping and aviation combined. And often that is not known. So and a lot of leaders of hospitals have got so many things they need to think about. 
that we are here to really help support leaders develop the competencies they need to tackle this big problem and integrate it into everyday decision making in hospitals and healthcare systems. Great. So Th- the way we do that, we yeah, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, please. Now, I was going to say we do that through two mechanisms. One is that we um, run masterclasses and a learning program, which is really aimed at hospital leaders to support them on this journey. And we've got an exciting carbon emissions learning lab, which uh, puts the leader into a simulation game where you're in charge of a 500-bedded hospital um, and have to make decisions and uh, about how you might decarbonize your hospital within the next five to seven years. And of course, it tracks not just carbon emission reduction, but other use of resources, um, staff engagement, um, rater, you know, your hospital rating and um, patient satisfaction, as well as obviously your, your budget. So it's quite a, a, a real uh, simulation approach to help uh, learn how to tackle some of these decisions. And then the other aspect is that we're looking at tools to support uh, hospital leaders to understand their maturity in relation both um, you know to environmental impact but also to the equity and vulnerability issues you were mentioning in your introduction and and what that means in terms of governance and leadership and engagement with staff and patients and and other partners so we've got quite a holistic program that's really focused on supporting hospital leaders to to be the the contemporary modern leaders that they need to be where climate change is a you know a daily um issue that needs to be considered absolutely uh thank you for that we'll get into the programming and i did scrub your uh website pretty thoroughly so let's work through that but i do want to ask a follow-up quickly that is could you characterize or, or is it possible to characterize or generalize and the types of hospitals that you work with or and 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 where they're lo- are they mo- I'm assuming they're mostly in Europe but I'm assuming from you where you have some in Japan and you have some others elsewhere so I'm, obviously they're wide ranging as well geographically yes so there's i mean so the international hospital federation membership it covers um you know over 70 countries worldwide and the membership is mostly national hospital associations like the american hospital association or the japanese hospital association or the french hospital federation but in countries where you know maybe like in kenya where there isn't a national hospital association we have standalone members that might be a hospital or a group of hospitals So um, there's quite a diverse membership, you know, from, like you mentioned, Japan, America, um, Europe, but also um, African and Latin American countries, um, you know, Australia, Taiwan, um, lots of different places. So it's very diverse. And it's interesting that this entire community are very interested in how to tackle sustainability and integrate it into what they're doing. The, another point that might be interesting is that, um, you know, when we had the last Congress uh, of hospitals, we asked, we did a sort of maturity survey and found that really, you know, over 60% of hospitals are only just beginning to start to think about this. So we've got a long way to go to accelerate action. And that was, correct me if I'm wrong, that meeting was this past May, Correct. No, so the the meeting in the Congress was last November. Oh, sorry. And we're okay. going to have another Congress in Lisbon this October. 
the, the meeting you're referring to, I think, is where there was a meeting in in Japan um, to discuss some of this. And we've also been um, we've had some study tours to Geneva, both from the Polish Hospital Federation and the Catalonian Hospital um, Association, who are um, who came to Geneva for a masterclass to um, also visit the University Hospitals of Geneva to see what they are doing and and really exchange on how we can all accelerate action. Okay, thank you again. Let's let's go through uh, some progression here relative to your programming. As you as you mentioned, you do offer. You seem to have a pretty uh, busy conference and workshop agenda. Um, uh, since you mentioned Lisbon in October, uh, could you make note of what uh, what'll what work will be done uh, during that meeting? Yes, so the World Hospital Congress meets every year in different parts of the world, and this year, 2023, is going to be in October, and it's going to be in Lisbon. And we are making sure that sustainability is one of the core themes, because if you think of the future of hospitals, sustainability has really absolutely got to be one of the pillars of um, of that. And so there will be a, a big program looking at not just sustainability, but also innovation and um, workforce um, um, issues to, you know, how you retain and uh, encourage your workforce. But on the sustainability and uh, front, we are going to have a plenary, which will be looking at how you can get to net zero from different parts of the world. We'll have some lightning talks with people, um, you know, f- from from Kenya, India, Europe, US, um, highlighting what they're doing. Um, and really, the idea is to inspire people that there is a lot of action that is um, available to leaders of hospitals to be done immediately. We also will have, um, we've got an IHS partners workshop, which is also going to be looking at what the future of hospitals needs to look like and how we tackle that in in this new world of climate change. Um, and there will be a number of um, sessions from members and others that will focus in on uh, different sustainability issues. So that might be around, you know, um, access to energy or, um, you know, better use of resources, reducing the carbon footprint. Um, But it might also cover, you know, more ethical issues around um, dealing with vulnerable populations and building resilience in communities. So I hope it's an exciting program. I was just going to add that we are going to have two masterclasses as part of the pre-Congress activities, one in Portuguese, because we're going to be in Portugal for anybody who is Portuguese speaking, and then another one in English. And that will be a masterclass tour of, you know, what is sustainability all about? Why is it important to healthcare? Why is it key to hospital leaders to develop the competencies to deal with this? We'll use the Carbon Emissions Learning Lab as part of that and also have a, 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 you know, some working groups around, so what can you do in your own hospital and how can you take it forward and compare uh, different case studies from different parts of the world. Okay, thank you again. I did want to just circle back per your maturity survey. I, I can't say when you said 60% are just beginning. Um, not surprised uh, to hear that. Uh, at all. Uh, part of my work, I serve on a Department of Energy steering committee uh, focused on the healthcare industry. And uh, um, every meeting, I'm, rem- I'm reminded of, of that reality. Let's get into the, some of the nuts and bolts here. You mentioned a simulation, your learning lab. You have a, a sustainability accelerator toolkit. 
various toolbox tools you make note of. Um, I, I thought that, back to your website. I thought again it was well laid out, reasonably. Sometimes um, they're not all that. These sites are not all that useful or substantive. But you, for you have external resources. You note I actually counted. There are twenty seven in number. Uh, you also show some case histories. Uh, three or four mm-hmm. proven to be particularly, um, I thought, useful. Um, so let's get into some of these uh, tools. Now we're talking about. We'll get to scope three, but let's just focus on scope one and two emissions. So could you discuss the training, the tools you offer, et cetera? You mentioned, for example, I'm sure the National Health Service in the UK plays a is, a, is an active participant in your activity. You, For example, you cite they have a sustainability development unit, the SDU, that you make note of uh, as a reference. But could you talk through some yeah. of, of, of your resources and tools? Yeah, so um, with, the, with the sustainability accelerator tool that is going to become available, and um, you know, this summer is very much focused on looking at, um, at the maturity of hospitals. One in relation to environmental impact, and in that, it's uh, the use of resources. And in the carbon footprint, we're encouraging people, obviously, to understand the carbon footprint and look at how they productions, we are very much focusing in on the fact that we need to cover scope one, two, and three, because um, it it is everything that a hospital influences. And I guess our view with scope three is it's not just about procurement. Um, Of course, we buy all these products, but it's the way we utilize them in hospitals that matters as well. So to give an example, um, and this comes from the NHS, there was a, a pediatric hospital in London where the infection control nurses noticed that the health professionals were using non-surgical gloves um, a little bit as a habit instead of hand washing and that they felt this was not appropriate. So they um, developed a campaign with their staff to say, you know, you can decide when it's appropriate to use gloves or not. And, it, it, you know, it isn't always appropriate to use them. And they managed to reduce um, their use of gloves by seven tons of plastic in one hospital in one year. And through that, they improved patient satisfaction. They improved the skin condition of their staff, um, you know, and all the carbon that related to that. And that wasn't a a procurement thing. That was very much related to products that were used by staff. So I always feel that Scope 3 is about um, the products and how we buy them, but it's also about how we utilize them and how we dispose of them. So it's very much an area that hospitals can do a lot about and should be caring about as part of their daily work. Um, We use an awful lot of stuff in hospitals. And, you know, if you think of the pandemic and how much we um, really um, had problems with our global supply chain, it really um, makes business sense to tackle um, these things from an environmental perspective, but also from a resilience supply chain perspective so that we can, you know, offer the right quality of care to our patients. Right. I'll just note for the listener that it's guesstimated that scope three, these are supply chain, what hospitals and other health providers purchase, that those emissions amount to somewhere around 70, if not substantially more than 70% of a total, for example, hospitals, uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So scope three um, is really uh, the biggest slice of the pie. Um, Let me ask um, this sort of the obvious question. 
when you get into this conversation sooner or later, usually sooner, it's the financing <laughs> aspect of this. Um, yeah. Generally, we well we increasingly realize that renewable energy prices, usually at the megawatt hour uh, price, is competitive if not superior uh, to fossil fuel mm-hmm. resources. Um, so, from that perspective, it's entirely within any organization's financial interests, leaving aside uh, sustainability. Um, but could you speak specifically to uh, your work surrounding uh, understanding uh, the financial advantages or what the financing is? Yes. Yeah, so, so, so I guess there's two or three elements. One is I feel as though it is a little bit of a myth that people always say it's going to cost you more to right. implement sustainable choices, because just like you highlighted, often that is not the case. And, you know, if you think of energy efficiency measures, you can actually save on your electricity bill or your energy bills by implementing some measures. So there is something about revisiting the way we look at the the business case for these things. The the second one is that some things will cost a bit more and it's worth it, um, you know, uh, looking at an investment plan over time because the return on investment is often very fruitful. Um, And it will be a lot cheaper doing it now than in five or 10 years time because we've got a bit more time to plan for it and make sure it happens. So I always say to hospitals, you know, get started now because um, it will be easier now and cheaper now than it will be later. Um, And any organization that gets ahead of the game will actually find themselves in a better situation later. Then on, on the sort of are there financing schemes available to different hospitals? That is obviously very different in different countries. And I'm not well versed with what the um, you know, opportunities are in the United States. I know that in Europe, there are some schemes that hospitals can apply for. And it is well worth um, joining up and collaborating with other hospital systems to try and, and, and make progress on this front. Thank you. Just on the U.S., listeners are well aware we passed last August the Inflation Reduction Act that has what are termed uh, energy security tax credits available to nonprofit entities. So most of U.S. hospitals are, so they could take advantage just to uh, make that note or that plug. Um, Speaking of the U.S., you mentioned the AHA. There are hospital systems in the U.S. that uh, are noted, frequently noted, relative to their sustainability efforts. Uh, Kaiser gets a lot of press, Uh, Mayo Cleveland Clinic, uh, North Shore in New York City, there are various others. Um, Any any in the U.S. that that you find of interest, noteworthy, or that you would um, make the listener aware as sort of exemplars? So, yes, I mean, I, I I would agree with all the names that you've highlighted there. There's obviously quite a community of hospitals that are, um, you know, making progress on this front. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting about Kaiser Permanente is that they have got quite a, a you know, an, an overall policy around this. But they've also got a, a model of care where as the insurer and the provider... Right. They can really invest in upfront prevention and well-being for their population, which reduces costs and consumption um, downstream in terms of it means that less people will be admitted to hospital. Now, that is quite a, um, you know, an amazing approach, because if you look at it across the population and the carbon emissions and the cost of healthcare in the U.S., 
this would be one way of considering alternatives um, of how you really support your population to be healthy and not need health care in quite the same way. So you rang a bell with that answer because I was going to ask uh, a related question on my list, and that is payers or insurance carriers. We're talking obviously about hospitals, but obviously mm-hmm. um, the payer certainly has as much, if not possibly a greater interest. Uh, they're trying to maintain uh, their their own competitiveness. They're trying to obviously um, ensure uh, larger populations. That means they want to uh, have contracts in, with as many healthcare providers, hospitals, et cetera, as possible. So, are there in your in your sustainability efforts um, insurance companies who are interested in sustainability? So, I think they're beginning to show interest because they realise that, that they have to, that the current models don't work. But I don't think there are many that have really found the best way of integrating that into what they do. I do think that, like you said, they are a huge influencer in this space and could um, m- make great progress by um, integrating that into their mechanisms. And um, that, which just reminds me that, uh, you know, if we could integrate it into the accreditation of hospitals, that would also carry a lot of weight and m- move the dial um, significantly. So I'm just hoping that insurers, you know, payers, um, hospitals, accreditors, everybody will have the courage to actually um, go a lot further than they're doing at the moment because it will help um, everyone transition to a a more environmentally sustainable uh, setup. And we need to move all together because actually it's going to be difficult if it's just one part of the system doing it on their own. Right. I I appreciate your noting accreditors and it sounds like you're aware of that. In the U.S., the Joint Commission recently floated some sustainability performance standards. Uh, the industry responded to these, uh, let's say, not uh, positively. So the CEO, Dr. John Perlin, took a step back. And at, at this point in time, they're going to, using his term, uh, make these sustainability performance standards, quote-unquote, extra credit. Um, and not Mm -hmm. make them required for a Joint Commission accreditation scoring. And, of course, in the U.S., JC serves as as a deeming authority in that if Joint Commission accredits, then you get a pass from the federal governments on Medicare because you will have met Medicare's conditions of participation via Joint Commission uh, score. Um, um, nothing simple in the U S relative to how we actually (laughs) deliver healthcare. Let me, I do want to, we have mentioned, you've mentioned, I've mentioned the national health service. They've been at this, I think by law, at least 15 years. Um, there's other obviously issues in the UK. Um, but they've demonstrated success. You, you note some, uh, there are some doc NHS documents on, uh, you post on, uh, their website, uh, the one probably most prominently is NHS's quote-unquote delivering net zero at NHS. Uh, that document is useful, I found, for anybody who just wants to do a generic read. Um, what what else or more can you say um, about what NHS is doing? And I know this is Nick Watts's shop. Yes. No, so I used to work for the NHS as well some time ago. 
And, um, you know, indeed, we've been on a journey for a long time. One of the things that did help um, when the Sustainable Development Unit was set up is that there was some legislation in the UK, uh, some climate change legislation, which Mm -hmm. meant that the health sector said, "Okay, we need to find a way of doing this. So that's always useful backing. And then I think the, um, the, the NHS has got a long history of understanding its carbon footprint and where the hot spots are and what it will take to really get to net zero. And so that's demonstrated in you know, their net zero plan, which is a very thoroughly thought through um, you know, plan with very specific interventions. Nonetheless, there will be there's things that we know that we need to do now in order to get to net zero. And that needs to be integrated and embedded into everything that everybody's doing. Um, and we will ha- still have to rely on innovation and the new ways of doing things when we're further down the road. And so the NHS plan incorporates um, some of that uh, recognition that we all need to, you know, um, look at uh, solutions together across, um, you know, the supply chain, across um, you, you know, companies that are providing care, uh, cross insurers, and, and and everybody else, because we it is going to require everybody's effort to get there. So the NHS is exemplifying that as an approach, a collaborative approach, um, and able to track progress, um, which is remarkable. And the way they track it is not per patient or you know per dollar spent or per square meter. It's really an absolute amount for the whole NHS. So it's tracking its reductions whilst activity is going up. So we're really seeing a decoupling between carbon emissions and activity. And I think that's um, remarkable. Yes, just you're, you're too modest. I asked this question in part because you were the director of the NHS Sustainability Development Unit <laughs> yeah. not, not too long ago. So you're expert on on their effort. And I will say on the NHS, sort of a weedy comment, their baseline, um, you know, when you when you count or calculate reductions, it's against the it's a numerator denominator, right? So it's it's the numerator is is how many uh, tons you admitted, but the percent is over some denominator. So some baseline year, the United States likes to use a later year, typically 2005. Um, obviously, it's easier to show reductions when you start with a higher denominator. Uh, what's the NHS yeah. is, is early? Isn't it a 1990 odd denominator? Yeah, so it was 1990 because that's what the Climate Change Act, the legislation set. But of course, across the health system, we had to um, reset a baseline on regular basis. So we had a 2007 one, and we backtracked to 1990. Um, you know, it had to be updated at several times. But just to comment on that, because at the end of the day, if we all need to get to net zero, it doesn't matter what That's your right, yes. is. We still need to keep decarbonizing. <laughs> yeah, but it's a way to track progress, to obviously. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, good point. Thank you. Um, well, there's a lot of directions to go here. Um, I did want to ask as an aside, um, I, I noticed that you uh, note uh, the EPA's waste reduction model. I spent a lot of time talking with EPA Energy Star portfolio manager staff. Um, speaking of uh, scoring or benchmarking, uh, it's interesting to note that, so this is the EPA's product. It's been around since 1992. Uh, so they'll 
they provide a zero to 100 score relative energy efficiency for hospitals, other types of healthcare providers. It's interesting, 60 plus percent of U.S. hospitals participate in Energy Star um, to their credit. Uh, sadly, to be Energy Star certified, you need a score of 75 or above, and less than 5% of U.S. hospitals have achieved that uh, 75 or above a percent score. Uh, where is Energy Star in your mix? So um, I guess we would say that it's really important to to take that as a component of everything you're doing. And I can't give you an exact figure of where all the different hospitals are in different associations around the world. Um, it is obviously a, a core, the energy performance is an absolute cornerstone to this agenda, um, but it isn't the only one. And sometimes I um, I just remind um, hospitals that, yes, we need to do energy, we need to do buildings, we need to do transport, we need to do food, but we also need to do the things that are absolutely specific to healthcare, like anesthetic acids and inhalers mm-hmm. and medication um, and infection control. Because at the end of the day, if um, healthcare doesn't deal with those things, nobody else will. Um, whereas actually getting the energy mix right is something that can happen at national level, at grid level, and, and a no- number of different areas. I would say, though, on an energy performance, it is um, in, in some countries where there's been a form of carbon tax, um, often you are more likely to save money by just being very highly energy efficient than, than you would save on taxation. So, um, so in countries where, um, you, you know, we, we just need to see it through the right driving lens and that, that actually you can, by being um, very highly energy performant, you can actually reduce your, um, your bills significantly. Um, yeah. And, and I think the, the more you can be um, reliant on more renewable energy, you know, the more resilient you'll be as well. And I think that's, that's becoming a, a more and more important factor. Right. Thank you. The, the line, of course, is the most expensive energy you consume is the energy that's wasted, right? It serves no purpose. Yeah, right? totally, I, totally. I, I would be remiss, terribly remiss, if I didn't ask this question, maybe my uh, final or one of two. And that is, what can the American healthcare? You know, the the problem with with American exceptionalism is is the problem with American exceptionalism. You know, we don't we don't spend enough attention um, relative to what other countries are doing uh, to our loss, of course. So, what advice would you? You have a global perspective. What do you think is interesting outside the U.S. that would be helpful for? Uh, the U.S. healthcare sector to, let's just say, uh, understand about which they should be aware or appreciate? Well, I I guess the the main thing I would say is that um, hospital leaders, for instance, in Europe, they are realizing that sustainability is just, uh, is better to embed it in your strategy and make it part of your everyday decision-making and processes than trying to have it as a bolt-on that you need to think about mm-hmm. um, as a side stream. So the more a hospital leader can integrate it into everything they're doing, I think the more successful they'll be, and also the less difficult it becomes. Um, and I think that's, for me, that's the main message, is that realization that it doesn't have to be something that you do on the side. 
when you've got five minutes. It's something that needs to be integral to your strategy. And the, the real visionary and, and competent leaders, they, they, they get that. Good point. Uh, I appreciate that point. It has to be systemic. Um, I will say I did interview a, a, a health research scholar in the Netherlands a year or two ago, and I was impressed. His answer to that question ostensibly was, we cannot not do this. He said, the younger generation would yes. not permit it. And that's That was his answer. And that left me very hopeful. Yes. <laughs> yeah, very hopeful. Yes, I think that's right. And actually, you know, one of the things that's being, you know, to, to resonate from that, you know, if you want staff, you know, young people staffing your hospital for the future, they care about this. And so, you know, actually, it's a good way of attracting staff as well and retaining staff because it does matter and people are you know vote with their feet no in fact kaiser has made this point pretty overt and that is it's a recruitment and a retention thing for clinical staff yes yes exactly that's exactly right and that's becoming more and more so well that's that's good news um sonia i think we're at about our time i think i will since this is uh, been a wide-ranging conversation. I, I, I'd like to ask you, just to afford you an opportunity, what was I too stupid not to ask? Or is there a comment you'd like to reemphasize or an, uh, an altogether additional comment? But uh, in, in concluding here, what would you what would you like to leave the listener with? Well, I guess that the, the, I'm, I very much believe in having hope that we can do this. So I would I hope that you can all join us on this journey with that hopeful view, because um, actually it's so much easier to work work towards something that you you know we we could have a positive outcome here by doing it together and doing it right. Um, so I'd like to leave everybody with that hope rather than any despair that is too difficult or or such things, because I really fundamentally believe that we can we can do this. Okay, I, I do as well. So that's that's a good uh, summation comment. So with that. Uh, uh, Sonia, genuinely appreciate your time. Uh, thank you so much. I generally, I, I don't say this too often, uh, but in this instance, I generally mean I wish you every success, absolutely. So thank you again, and maybe we can revisit this uh, at some point and, and look at our progress. Look at our look at our denominator. So with that, thank you again. That sounds great. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, and good luck to you all. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.